right. So we have our fact checker segment. This is where we try to debunk some of the misinformation that's gone on out in media. Our resident fact checker is here in the studio, Adam Rowe. Good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. So we are going to now have to talk about um, some of the confusion that has been swirling around with COVID-19. And certainly there's been a lot of either fake news Mm -hmm. or a lot of confusion uh, amongst people uh, who either get tested, have to go through quarantine, what exactly the procedures are. Uh, There are some questions as to whether patients who have been in quarantine get tested after release. And that seems like something that people would want to know if they're actually uh, clear and and, um, safe. What is actually the procedure for getting out of quarantine? Well, the initial criteria for being released uh, was testing negative in two PCR tests that uh, were conducted at least 24 hours apart. So Mm -hmm. that was the initial kind of criteria where you could be released. Now, health authorities put in clinical courses as another criteria since last June. This is because they felt that testing alone may not be a good indicator of a patient's condition. And uh, a patient that is asymptomatic could continue to show uh, positive test results, even if uh, that person is not an immediate risk. So Mm. this meant that keeping these people in quarantine for longer and thus overwhelming the medical system. And these was one of the ways where they could kind of alleviate that problem. Now, if a a patient meets either testing or clinical course criteria, any one of the two, then that person is allowed to be released. Now, this clinical course criteria is split into two categories, namely symptomatic and asymptomatic. Now, if an asymptomatic patient shows no symptoms over 10 days, then that person is able to leave quarantine, just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Symptomatic patients must be isolated for 10 days as well and if the patient shows no symptoms for at least 24 hours after then without medical treatment then he or she can be released as well so Mm. provided that they don't get treatment and they're okay for at least a day then they can be released that 24-hour period doubles to 48 if the patient has shown critical symptoms uh, while in quarantine or has done before so uh, those are the criteria for that and uh, the testing after quarantine um, is not really necessarily a part of this whole release process. Yeah, and so I think most people know the, the usually the 14-day protocol is mm. because the, there is an incubation period for right. this. So if you've been exposed, every human body kind of reacts to the virus in different ways. And so yeah. um, it may take a while for it to build up and actually uh, mm. be apparent in a test. And so if you're asymptomatic, that's one way and they're going to have a different approach. And then, of course, if you're symptomatic and you have a lot of uh, difficulties, uh, obviously it's going to be treated much mm. more with, with kids. gloves. But as you say, it's a dilemma because mm. you, you want to make sure everyone who's quarantined is going to be safe to come back out in society. Yeah. But at the same time, with yeah. thousands and thousands of cases per day, right. uh, just, there's a finite uh, number of resources available r i g h to be able to uh, get through all of this. So uh, yeah. thank you for clearing up the uh, <laughs> confusion there. Uh, hopefully, this is becoming less and less important as the numbers start to dwindle and uh, we start yeah. getting a vaccine and more mm-hmm. effective treatments. Let's talk about this um, horrific case that has become, of course, a big uh, point of contention and discussion here in Korean society. The death of this 16-month-old girl who was an adoptee and the death being attributed to her abusive parents sparking massive outrage here in Korea. There have been mounting calls now for harsher punishment. There's been several Blue House petitions. There have been thousands of letters written to the court. The question is, does that even matter? At the end of the day, is this all moot? Do these letters have any legal power whatsoever? 
Well, uh, the organizations and these individuals who have written these petitions, especially to the courts, uh, claim that if the number of these letters exceed 10,000, and if they have these 10,000 signatures or uh, the number of letters, then they do have legal force uh, if they are handed in at least 10 days before the last trial hearing. Mm-hmm. Now, but a Yonat report suggests, however, that that is not the case. Uh, the petition itself is not actually a document that holds any legal right. power, uh, such as, for example, an investigation report or... Uh, just some uh, evidence, basically, that can be used in the trial. It is not part any of those two, so it doesn't have any uh, legal uh, binding. Uh, therefore, the judge doesn't really have any obligation to heed the will of the petitions when handing down a verdict. Uh, so it doesn't really matter if there are 10,000 letters or a million mm. petitions. I mean, the numbers don't really matter. And it also doesn't matter if they are sent at least 10 days before the final hearing as well. Uh, There is no deadline uh, as such, but considering the court has a lot of paperwork to sift through during these hearings, uh, it is advised that these documents are handed in quickly, but even if they are, as I said, they don't really have any legal standing. So you would differentiate that then from, let's say, a... um we would call an amicus brief, right? Like mm. a friend of the court brief where there would be lawyers involved who actually have other documents that are drafted from people who are supporting mm. that uh, plaintiff or defendant's position. Right. And then that is actually accepted into the courts yeah. as uh, part of yeah. the uh, deliberation process. Mm. These are just letters that are being sent to the judge and he can read them, he cannot read right. them, he can be affected by them, he cannot, but mm. ultimately that has no legal uh, bearing on, on whether that judge is going to make a decision one way or the exactly, other. Exactly, yeah. But then, okay, so the question then is, because um, we're not trying to, of course, uh, <laughs> like basically dismiss the yeah. efforts of all of these people who are very much upset about this entire situation. Yeah. Does it mean then all of those thousands of letters are essentially meaningless? No, not really. I mean, uh, they, they could have an influence mm. on a judge's decision uh, if he or she wishes to look over them during the trial, which does happen often. Right. I mean, uh, considering the scale of this case as well, it could. Now, judges may not admit that they had any influence uh, because of these uh, petitions, because they could be accused of being swayed by a third party, which is not really... Mm. Uh, they're, 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 they could be accused of uh, losing their neutrality, if you will. Uh, but it is human nature for them to read them uh, in some cases. Now, as I said, with the scale of this uh, so-called c h o n g i n case and the impact it's been having on uh, Korean society, such petitions may actually turn out to be influential because it's all over the headlines. Pretty much everyone knows yeah. about it in the country. Uh, and there are all, it's, it's not unprecedented for this to happen as well. There have been child abuse cases in the past that have sparked similar public outcry and a similar number of petitions as well. One example can be dated back in 2013 when a stepmother got a longer jail sentence because she actually ended up being charged with murder. Uh, but... Uh, Uh, Her original uh, charge was something less than that. It was a manslaughter due to child abuse, which is a kind of a a mirroring case to what we have with the Chung-in case at the moment. So in conclusion, it is completely up to the court and the judge to decide whether to look at these petitions or not. But as I said, considering the scale of this and the impact that it's had, it could have uh, an influence possibly. on the court's decision when this trial goes. Right, and, and the reason why the letters to the judges are even issues is we can look at this uh, tragedy regarding c h o n g i n and point fingers of blame to a lot of people, right? Mm. These police who've su- supposedly ignored all the calls of mm. um, other allegations that have uh, arisen in regards to uh, the, the abuse that this uh, baby was suffering mm. and uh, maybe even the prosecutors for choosing not to indict the, uh, the, step- the adoptive mother uh, and charge her with murder rather mm. than just a simple... simple child abuse charge. And ultimately, though, I think the, the, the main ire seems to be directed at these judges because ultimately, if they are found guilty, the sentencing guidelines that they are mandated to follow, they often 
veer towards being more lenient, uh, right. especially to these uh, uh, abusive parent cases. And that has now kind of brought about this fear that, again, these um, parents might get away with just a slap on the wrist. Now, rightly or wrongly, this is a court of law, and you have to accept the, the mm-hmm. court's decision in a free and fair society. However, uh, the attempts to uh, influence them can be done either through the Blue House petition or these uh, letters that are being written. Ultimately, they might not have any effect, but the judges are human beings too. And even in very politically charged cases where there's a lot of media coverage on it, and knowing that they are being so intensely scrutinized, you can't help but as a human being, even if you're a judge or not, to be swayed one way or the other, or at least somewhat affected by it. Yeah, but the the, the underlying issue here is that this isn't the first time this has happened. And I said with the case back in 2013, it's literally pretty much the same case over and over again. So there is another underlying issue here, probably with the law itself. And there's been this whole call for uh, legislative uh, revision and reform for this whole matter. And uh, because there's so many loopholes and leniency Mm. regarding this when there shouldn't be. I think that's an important point is why do these um, letters have to be kept being written? And why do these judges... have to be reminded once again that these are are heinous crimes and uh, perhaps uh, sometimes maybe the the overwhelming consensus is the punishment should fit that crime. And so um, we're going to see how this entire case folds up because there's so much attention paid Mm. to it. Okay, final fact check here, Adam. Winter is usually a season in Korea when the uh, fine dust levels are particularly high. I, I, I may be wrong, but it just feels like there's not a lot of There's not as much obsession with fine dust right now as we've had in previous years. Yeah, yeah, we seem to be worried about other things, uh, including a pandemic. Typically, when fine dust levels go up and people get scared and upset about it, there's a lot of blame being put on China Mm -hmm. for uh, their role in terms of the pollution there and that being kind of uh, transported over here. Uh, But this is interesting. The former UN Secretary General Pang Gi-moon has said now, and he's ahead of this uh, commission, which you'll talk about, but he has said that uh, can't just uh, blame everything on China. Korea has to bear some responsibility as well. That could be considered a little bit um, contentious to people here in Korea. Uh, is he right? Well, uh, it has been a while since he made these comments. He was yeah. speaking last June. That's when he uh, was appointed as the new head of this uh, so-called National Council on Climate Change and Air Quality. Now, back then, he said 30% of South Korea's uh, fine dust comes from China and more than half was produced domestically. So he's basically saying uh, there's more uh, domestic blame uh, that, needs, that is... Uh, there's more blame to be done domestically. Mm. And he did note that Korea was being criticized by the international community for being what he called a climate villain. Uh, The figures he cited were an average of multiple global studies. Uh, One of them, for example, a joint 2017 study by the Environment Ministry and NASA uh, showed that 34% of fine dust particles in Korea were from China and that 52% were being produced locally. Now, so th- those numbers are similar to what p a n g i m u n has claimed. Now, this study was actually interestingly done in, uh, during May and June, uh, to which some are responding by saying that it is a period when Chinese fine dust influence is uh, relatively quiet. Now, but the researchers said the study still pointed out that Korea is a mass producer of air pollution uh, and that measures must be taken, taken to counter it. Now, these numbers also differ according to studies done by different countries. There's a lot of agendas at play here. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, the gap in figures shown in Chinese studies would considerably differ with the Korean research Mm. because uh, the methodology and all that might be shifted towards uh, a favorable result for China. Uh, But there are studies showing that certain times of the year when fine dust particles from China are considerably high. These include operations of heavy metal plants and also the huge amount of fireworks that 
uh, uh, China, Chinese people use in celebrations. I know fireworks may not seem like a lot, but mm. considering the scale of the country and right. the millions of people who are pretty much uh, putting up these fireworks at one time, it does certainly uh, tend to blow over here. Uh, so to summarize, it's hard to tell who is more responsible for Korea's air pollution with so many differing studies and expert opinions are also uh, uh, very... Um, divisive on this issue as well. Uh, But one thing that is certain is that Korea is not completely innocent. It is a producer of fine dust, whether it be 30 or 60 percent. So there is still work to be done. The ideal situation is everybody wants to clean up their own backyard and uh, hopefully uh, make sure that it helps everybody out in the global community. But as you say, there's always some politicking going on Mm -hmm. involved in here. And it's easier to cast aspersions or blame saying, look, we did our best, but uh, we can't help it if that (laughs) other, you know, party is uh, uh, not helping the situation out. But again, um, we look forward to a time when this might be the biggest (laughs) concern to to be uh, talking about uh, right now, which uh, unfortunately is not the case. Adam, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Always Mm -hmm. appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again next week. See you next week.